everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So um, I took a break last week from doing an episode because the last episode that I did was supposed to be a preview to the court motion that I was going into. Um, on the morning of the court motion, uh, I found out I don't really want to go into details because I know that my nexus camp is listening, but uh, my nex, her lawyer, pulled some shiesty shit, and uh, at the end of the day, the motion didn't end up getting heard, and uh, it sounds like there were a bunch of broken lines of communication everywhere, um, but I woke up, you know, reasonably disappointed because I have all the evidence to beat her. And uh, it just didn't happen. Um, so I was left without an episode for the week because that was my plan was to recap that. And then I had the kids and, you know, it all got away from me and I wasn't able to do an episode last week. But during that time, you know me, I'm active on social media and I found uh, a guy on social media. That story absolutely resonated with me so hard um, due to my following that I have on Instagram and stuff and, and posts that I made. Uh, some of my listeners were helpful in helping me track this guy down. Uh, I got to talking with him, and he's absolutely amazing. And uh, yeah, we made an episode happen. So this story hits super close to home because the guests that I'm about to bring on, our situations pretty much overlap. You know, they're at same time period, same obstacles. It's it's almost serendipitous and. Uh, I'm really glad that we were able to get this episode done, so check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So, man, the internet is a crazy place. I was just scrolling through TikTok about a week and a half ago, and I came across this video on TikTok of a man being served with a PFA, which is a protective order against abuse. And I watched this video, and this guy was me. I It was like I was looking into a mirror because I have the same video in my phone of the police serving me with a restraining order against my ex-wife against false allegations. So immediately I commented on this guy's post. I was like, I'd like to speak with this guy. And uh, God bless my listeners. One of my listeners were able to get me this guy's email. I shot him an email and I'm so happy to hear back. So I wanted to welcome in Ulysses Slaughter. Ulysses, say hello to the audience. Hey, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for being listeners of Max. And Mac, thank you for having me. Yeah, dude. I'm so glad you're here. Well, you and I have got had, have had the opportunity to connect a little bit off air before we got on this call a few times. And uh, man, your story is mind-blowing. So thanks for taking the time to come on, on the show with us. You know, it's your show. Where do you want to get started, man? It's, it's a lot to digest. I think uh, I'll start where where I started a, a call earlier. This this has been so liberating for me to be able to talk with people who understand this what I call phenomenon. This yeah. phenomenon of false allegations, generally speaking, but false allegations against men in particular, because there's there's it just seems like there's a way that people don't expect for men to hurt a certain way when something like this happens. Right, and so. I believe the false allegation is is tossed because it's supposed to destabilize you. It's supposed to discredit you. It's supposed to depress you. It's supposed to put you in this real fucked up space where you don't know what to do. And when when it comes at you 
out of the blue. And, and that's how they're served most of the time. They're served to provide shock value. Yes. That's what it is. It's supposed to shock you. And so being able to talk with you and talk with other people about this is so liberating because you get it. And yeah. I don't feel judged. I feel like I'm talking to somebody who had a camera in his hand one day and filmed the exact same thing that I filmed. Yeah, before we got on the air, I showed him my video of me getting served the PFA and our TRO, as we call it around here. And he put his hands over his forehead. His eyes got real big. And he's like, fuck. He goes, you had the wherewithal to record that too. And I was like, yeah, man, because I was being gaslit and, and I just couldn't believe it was happening to me. But one thing I do want to preface about this episode, and you and I spoke about this off the air, is although we're men, right? This thing happens to women too. Yes, this it does. Not, this is not a gender issue. This is a human being issue, yes, right? And, that's true. and you know, you've had a lot of women reach out to you. A lot of my listeners are women. And I just, you know, I want to say, Ulysses and I both, we stand with all women. We stand with all men. We stand with all victims. This is not a gender issue. We just both happen to be men. Thank you so much for putting it that way. And I think one of the things that I, that I tease out with people is that the, the false allegation is a false allegation. That's, that's just that. And then the particulars of it come next. Right. So when we start to talk about gender, when we start to talk about race, when we talk about age, when we talk about economics, that comes next. Right. But the thing that the driving factor is the false allegation. And that is the thing that needs to be addressed. Nobody should just be able to say, you did this. Right. What the fuck? Show some evidence. Well, so the funny thing is, too, and like you said, it's for shock value. And I remember my prior lawyer, you guys all know my 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 lawyer's Brittany Parisi at a Parisi law firm in New Jersey. But my prior lawyer made a really good analogy to me. And what he said is, she's not better at playing this game. She just sat down at the table with all the chips. If this was a poker game, right? She's not better at playing the game. She just sat down with more proverbial money. She had more chips in her hand. And we need to systematically take those chips away. So that's why I brought you on this podcast is to tell your story to systematically take those chips away. And I think that I, I love that because um, I got to say it, man. I I just I, the false allegation is such a cowardly move. It's, there's something so cowardly about it that you in, in order to win the game, you're going to cheat. But my, my thing is cheat to win. My thing is. When you're playing against people who have tenacity, who have skill, we're going to catch up to you. We're going, they're going to catch up to you. You, you, you know, you might have a month, a year, you might have two years, but we're going to catch up to you. I'm telling you, when I looked at the camera that you showed me, I felt like I was looking at a kindred spirit. I'm like, there must be people all over the world with, and that's my hand work, dude. That's why we're here, my dude. You know what's funny? I don't know if you're a country music guy, but I got Johnny Cash going in my head. You ever get that song? You can run on for a long time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You down. Yep. Yeah, man. That's what's in my head. Well, listen, I mean, like, yeah, the the PFA that you received is one thing, but you got one hell of a backstory and it all does tie in. So can you start at the beginning with your childhood a little bit and tell us how you got here? And so it, where, where I got to with my Susie B. ex-wife was so mind-boggling because of what happened when I was a child. I was 12 years old, Mac, June 25th, 1978, and I hear two gunshots in my house. I wake up, 
The door of my bedroom opens and my mother is laying there, bleeding out the side of her head. My father has shot her. I listened to him say, if you try to leave this house, I'll kill you. That's what he said. And then I heard these two gunshots and my mother just fell. Years before that, my father was an abuser. He was, and his name is Ulysses Grant Slaughter Sr. And I'm saying that because that's my name. And as a young man growing up, I had to hear some of the worst stuff about, you know, having your father's name, being like your father, all of that kind of stuff related to my connection to my father. And I promised that I would never, I would never abuse a woman. I would never put my hands on a woman. Never. And I never have. Never. I hated my father, Mac. I literally went, thought I was going to kill my father. I went to his house one day in December 2010 thinking, I am going to kill this guy. I was 45 years old. Did your dad go to jail, obviously? He went to jail for 39 months. That's it? 39 months, Mac. He what? went to jail mostly because I was I was the lead witness. I was the chief witness at the age of 12. 12. fucking years old as the chief witness. 12. Chief witness at the age of 12. Mac, I went back to... Cook County. I'm from Chicago. I went back to Cook County back in workshops. So I would actually travel to different parts of the country and stand in front of rooms talking to people about my story and telling people how I felt about my father and all this. And I remember one time a woman asked me, um, how long did your father spend in prison? And I told her 39 months. And she goes, 39 months? Why? And I couldn't answer the question. So I called Circuit Court of Cook County, which is where Chicago was located, and I asked them if they still had the records from that trial. Now, this is 32 years later. They still had everything. I went back. I went through all of the... I, I have all the transcripts today, Mac. Today. I have all... I can flip through the transcripts. I picked up on December the, the 17th, I picked up 2010, 32 years later, the original police report. You know, back in that time, they used to have white, pink, and yellow carbon, and they would write on it, and they would tear a piece, and one piece would go that way. The actual piece of paper, Mac, when I felt that piece of paper, I just, I, I mean, I rubbed that piece of paper. That was a piece of paper that was there with me when that happened. That shaped your eyes. Man, I was, I was like, I can't believe it. So that's my backstory. I ultimately forgave my father. And when I say forgave my father, I brought him uh, to meet my children. He had never met my children before. I brought him to meet my children two months before he died. I had no idea that he was dying. And I brought him to meet my, my children. And, and like I said, he wound up dying not long thereafter. But I've committed my life, man. Uh, in many ways, to my mother's memory. And to me, a big part of that was always speaking out against abuse. And well, and I hate to state the obvious, but this kind of foreshadows a little bit what would happen down the line because yeah. your next knew that was sort of a sweet spot that she could poke at because you're like, no, that's the thing about about narcissism and like my personal narcissist is like, I was always accused of things about my character that are just so far away from who I am. Yes, sir. Yep. And, and 
that's what's made to drive you crazy. It's like, if I was looking at you right now, I'd be like, oh, you got hair in your head. Like, you're a bald man. But you're like, no, that's not fucking true. Don't convince me of that, right? Like, right, right, yeah. Fuck? And I go back, and and I imagine you do too, and, and I look at text messages, and I think about certain situations, and I go, oh, I get it now. Oh, okay. Yes. I have one friend who calls it death by a thousand paper cuts. That's that's what it feels like too. It feels like that. It's it, it is like you know they talk about how do you uh, you know putting the frog in a pot and slowly turning up, yeah, slowly turning up the 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 gas light, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, until it gas. boils, right? Hiin, buddy. Yeah, I thought I would do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you go back and you look, and the thing that's so interesting to me is people will look at her and go, oh, she would never do that. Yeah, she would never do that. She wouldn't do that. No, you're right. She wouldn't do that in public. She wouldn't do that in front of anybody. She wouldn't tell you she was doing that. But is she doing that? She absolutely is. And she knows that nobody is going to believe me. Of course. Because they have a behind the behind the door persona. So wait, go back to your dad though. So he met your kids, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He was dying. Go ahead. Yeah. So I bought him here. The only reason why my, my father wound up meeting my children is because I challenged him. After I reconnected with him, I said, I'm doing domestic violence workshops and going forward, when I do them, you have to go with me. And he said, okay. And I didn't believe him. I was like, you know, this motherfucker is lying. He is not going to do these workshops with me. Did you ever have like a heart to heart come to Jesus moment with him and like how he felt about what he did? Yes. So part of him coming to the Philadelphia area where I now live is that I put together a whole reconciliation program, a public program where me and my father and my two older sons stood in front of a room of 350 people and talked about what happened. So we, it, you can find some of this stuff on YouTube where we walk in and we tell the story and he talks about what he did. And he says, yes, I killed my son's mother. I mean, it's just, it's powerful stuff. I would have never allowed him just to walk back in without him confessing. What was like? What was it like the first time you saw him after all that? Um, I went back to his house. Uh, I got to tell you this. Um, so when I found out that the court documents were still available, I went and got the court documents. And I'm flipping through the court documents. And I get to this part in my testimony, or in his testimony. He's 12 fucking years old. 12 years old, man. I, my my, my uh, relatives, my mother's folks, would let me testify. And when I was done, they would always make me leave the courtroom. I couldn't hear anything else. Yeah, yeah. My, fa- my father testified that after he shot my mother, he went to his bed and picked up a pillow and put it up under her head. Mac, that's what I did. When I saw that my mother was bleeding, I went to my bed. Yeah, man. I went to my bed. I picked up my pillow. I'm about to cry. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, man. I, I mean, the I picked up the pillow. I lifted my mother's head and I put it under her head. And when I saw that he tried to appropriate that, I was, like I said, at the time, I'm 45. I had no idea. I'm 45 years old. I was 12 when I did that. Mm-hmm. 33 years had gone by, and I had no idea that he did that. That was the weekend I decided, I'm killing this dude. I'm going to his house, and I'm killing him. And I have to say, there were times where I would drive by his house when I was in Chicago and just sit there and look. And live. I'd just sit there and look and hope that he would come out. On December the 19th, I went to his house after I saw what he wrote. 
Mackey was standing right there when I pulled down the block. He was standing right there when I pulled down the block. And he went in the house. I had somebody go in and get him. And when he walked out, I, I just froze. I froze. I could not. I, I, it was hard for me to say anything. And then finally I told him, I know what you did. This is me talking to a dude 33 years later saying, I know what you did. I know what you said. So it took 33 years, but it finally came around that I know what you did. Let me ask you a question. So was there a part of you that didn't want to kill him because a part of you would be a part of like him? No question about it. No, not only that, but my mother used to always tell me to be a better man. She would always tell me as it was, I used, when I was a little boy, I used to, I remember asking my mother when I'd be old enough to fight my father. And my mother would say the same thing. She said, I don't ever want you to fight your father. I want you to be a better man. And uh, I think I tell people, my mother's name is Clarice. I, I tell people I had a moment of clarity as I was standing there looking at him. And uh, I just got in my car and I drove away. And when I got back home, I, uh, I called him and I wrote him a letter. And I told him, if you are going to ever be back in my life, you got to tell me the truth about what happened to my mother. And you're going to have to do domestic violence workshops with me. So me and my father wound up on the Dr. Phil show in early December, in early January, 2000, that was 2011, we wound up on the Dr. Phil show. I wound up creating a show for the Oprah Winfrey Network uh, based on my work in reconciliation. Um, I went on to do a number of things. And then my father passed away, like I said, two months after he met my children. Little did I know that six years later, I'd be meeting my my ex-wife that I'm talking about today. Fucking hell. So how did you guys meet? Oh, we met at a, uh, I was doing a documentary screening. I do a lot of film. And I did a documentary about a small town outside of Philadelphia called Chester. Chester is the place where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spent his time in the seminary while he was, he was like 19, 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And I did a screening and she showed up at the screening. And um, we started talking. Next thing you know, we were going on a date. Next thing you know, we were dating. And uh, it was, it was just, we met on King's birthday. We wound up getting married on King's birthday. How, how deep into the relationship? Like, was it like instant connection, instant love at first sight? Or like, uh, how long, how long after you guys met before you got married? Um, we, we did two marriages. We did a, a Quaker style marriage and, so about a year and a half we were together, we decided to get married. And then we turned around and did another marriage, an official marriage on King's birthday. And then she filed for divorce in July of that same year. Wow. Okay. Fuck, man. Shit. This is gonna this is where we become so similar. So in that time, did you own a home before then or after then? We when I met her, we want I wound up moving in with her. I don't know how long it was, man, but we were just like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instant, man. Instant. I was like, we, we, we're all into the same things. We believe the same things. We're going to conquer the world, you know? Yes. 
And and see, this is why. Oh, hold on one second, though. I bet she mirrored a lot of your shit. Like, was she? So you were like a a filmmaker, right? Like you were a documentary filmmaker. Did she mirror your interest back to you and like try and say, "Oh, this is so cool. This is so supportive," and all that kind of stuff? Uh, all everything that I did, man. Like I, I don't know if I said this to you when we were talking, but I'm a I'm a pretty well known guy in the area where I am. So. I've done films. I think I told you that I was re I'm I'm the person who wrote the apology for the Philadelphia move bombing. Did we talk about that? No, I didn't know that. Okay, so the, if you're not familiar with the move bombing of May 13th, 1985, the city of Philadelphia dropped a bomb on a family in West Philadelphia and killed 11 people, including five children in this home. It was known as the move bombing, May 13th, 1985. Okay. I was asked because of my reconciliation skills to get involved with that the same year that I met her. So she was tagging along with me. She's a professor of psychology and she does some other stuff. So she would tag along with me and she she became part of that process. Yeah. And so- Did you try to take credit for it? Absolutely. <laughs> That's so terrible. Absolutely. And I did everything that I could, Mac, to help her in that process. Like, I'm like, Hey, we're in this together. We're, we're doing this together. You're my woman at the time, and then you eventually became my wife. We had we had people showing up at our wedding who were like all into this thing that we had. Man, I just I've done so many things that she, like you said, mirrored. I wonder sometimes now. I wonder like I wonder who she is today. Yes, dude. I posted something. I mean, at the time this is gonna come out, it's like. You know, it'll be a couple of days later, but like I posted something on Instagram yesterday. It's like, do you ever feel like, and, and it's sort of rhetorical because I, but I got a lot of comments on it, but like, do you ever feel like they're a stranger now that they're gone? Like, who the fuck was that person? The, this guy said to me earlier today, he said, anybody who can do something that mean to you, that cruel to you, yeah. and just walk away and never check back to see how you're doing could only be a stranger. But that's the thing too, is like, that even though like they mirrored all your good qualities and like you you know this is the thing with a lot of people in the ruminations is that people sit back and they remember all those really uh, good times yeah people sit back and they remember all those good times and i used i was i'm guilty of that too i used to sit back and go oh remember the first time we ever took my son down to the ocean and he put his foot in the ocean or remember our wedding we remember all that shit right just to your point they are who they really are during the discard Oh, my, my, my. I mean, like, that is something that I will never forget. The, yeah. the things that, that transpired after that, where it was like she was trying to make some great escape and that she was going to use some false allegation yeah. to just totally cut the cord. Just like, mm -hmm. we're done. Yeah. And you you are, as the people like to say, you're dead to me. Yeah. And I don't care what happens to you because I got something else to do. And so any feelings that I had for you are gone too. If I ever really had any, this is, I'm thinking this is, must be the way she that they're thinking. Really never even had any. You know what's funny? I knew that. I did an interview with somebody else and they asked me, um, during the interview, I was actually interviewed by a self-aware narcissist. And he asked me, he said, would you feel better to know that she never loved you? Or would you feel better to know that she loved you and couldn't show it. And I said, I would feel better to actually know that she didn't love me because if she did love me and she couldn't show it, that I would be sitting there again, ruminating, going, well, why couldn't she show it? If we just could have did this, if we just could have did that, it might actually make me want to get back with her. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes, yes. 
and and I think that having to come to terms with how we move forward after this is it, it's crucial. So you you guys got married very quickly, but were there any red flags in between when you met to where you got married? Any like little subtle jabs or anything like that that might have tipped you off? Did you want to get married? Did you feel like it was a good idea? I thought I just thought that we were two of the most passionate people. I had never experienced that level of passion. And sometimes that passion was in sex. Sometimes that passion was in the work we were doing. Yeah. But it was always like so much passion. We were driven. And I look back and I know that most of the things that we were doing were things that I was initiating in the world. Yes. Nobody so, can see me right now, but I just threw my hands in the air. And I've said this on this podcast. Most of the fucking, I don't mean to sound like the narcissist, but most of the good times, I'm the fucking one who initiated it. I was initiating everything. I was the driver. And my, my children, especially my older two, would always say, everything you've done, Dad, are things that you did before she ever came around. You, 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 you are who you've always been and will always be. And she jumped off for the ride. So your kids saw it, too. My kids saw it too, yeah, and my kids saw it too. And when you go back, go back to the idea of the red flags, I think trying to negotiate what is negotiable right. in a relationship, like, okay, oh, I saw that right there, and I saw that right there, and you know, okay, that's something we can work on. That's something. We so trying to figure out how to connect. We, we're older adults. At the time I met her, I was fifty-five years old, mm -hmm. right? Fifty-three actually when I met her. And she was 49. And so we, we were kind of set in our ways and we had our obligations. And I'm just trying to figure out when I met her, the risk benefit, so to speak, of this thing. And it, it just felt like the benefits greatly outweigh, outweighed the risk. But right. then every now and then, Max, she would do something. And, and I would go, okay, that's a little weird. Like I, I saw a tantrum one time and it was a really, really weird tantrum. Uh, over my birthday, I wanted to go spend some time with my children on my birthday. And she thought that we were going to do something alone. And I'm like, well, my, I always celebrate with my children. You know, I'm, I'm, you can come with me. We Let's go. And she threw a tantrum. I mean, like, a, 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 oh, just her whole face got distorted. She started stomping on the ground. It was like a, a, a kid tantrum. And I was like, wow, this is this is too much. And I'm going to say just a couple other things. Well, hold yeah, on. Before you, before you go on from that, do you know why they do that on your birthday? Because it takes the attention away from them. Yes. I mean, dude, that is... That is that ridiculous? But dude, like, it's so crazy. Like, that is a literal, like, narcissistic playbook type thing. Like, that is... Like, you cannot imagine. I don't know how many people... Like, if you told that story... If, if we're playing Family Feud, right? And you pulled a bunch of people. Like, that is the narcissistic playbook is that your birthday pisses them... Anything to do with you, where you get the attention, pisses them off so much because you're siphoning off their attention. Mac, I've had... Like I said, I was talking about this move bombing thing. I would meet with the former mayor of Philadelphia to discuss our strategy with him. And she came with me once or twice and we're getting ready to walk into this man's office. And there are a lot of people waiting on us. And she throws a tantrum before we could even get out of the car to go in here. And I'm like, this is a major engagement that we're involved with. You're not about to do that right now, are you? Oh, yes, I am. And the best part is you in your good intentioned heart are like, we're doing this as a team. 
right? Yeah. We're going in together. And she's yeah. pissed off because she knows that you are the catalyst for the whole thing. I'm the catalyst for this. And and I could, I could name several times when it happened. And I just wasn't thinking that I was dealing with this kind of person. I did just... I was so I was so focused, Mac, on getting done what needed to be done. And this is why people will say, well, you should have seen the red flags. You should have seen the signs. I don't know that I necessarily viewed them as red flags. I was just thinking, OK, this is she can be a little she can she can be a little feisty sometimes, you know. Yeah. And I think because of my ability to absorb some of that and just move, I don't take it as hard. I don't. Well, you've you know, been through like a light long trauma type situation and you're right. like this is nothing compared that's correct that's yeah. correct and and yeah and and i think that that is probably one of had been one of my shortcomings is that i was always saying i've been through worse than this i can make it through this i can make it through this yeah but i had no idea that i was dealing with somebody who was intentionally trying to destroy me it's so weird i mean i don't know what we want to call ourselves if we want to call ourselves empaths or whatever we want to call ourselves but like i found that we have this high threshold for uncomfortability like like you know like granted we don't like it but we put up with things just because like we got strong shoulders yeah you know yeah like, it's just it's weird how we just we we take it for no fucking reason and i don't know about you but i don't i don't find myself feeling like i'm trying to save anybody that was never the thing for me i wasn't it wasn't like i was trying to do anything other than be in a healthy passionate relationship that had uh, optimal growth opportunities. Yeah, and as it turns out, she wasn't playing by that. She, she actually, I, I look back and I go, wow, she had a whole lot of stuff going on that I didn't see. So when did you see it? So like you said, there was nothing in between like meeting her and getting married. So when did the veil start to fall after you got married? After we moved into we, uh, we moved into another house in June 2020. This was a historic house built in 1794, three acres of land, just a beautiful, beautiful piece of property, pond, streams. We were raising goats and chickens. It was just a beautiful piece of property. And we bought that property together. And she did everything she can, Mac, to uh, tamper with the paperwork. I read that in some of the text messages you sent me. Yeah. Tamper with the paperwork, the deed, the mortgage, the everything. She was tampering with the bank account. And I started going, how so? Was she trying to keep you off of it? Yes, she absolutely. She actually kept, she decided, I had no idea. She decided not to put my name on the mortgage. Now, ask me, how did I let that happen? And I can tell you how. A couple of things. Number one, I trust her. Number two, I want people to remember that this was during COVID, right? This was during COVID. And in addition to COVID, and this is to me where race does become a factor. Mm -hmm. She's a white woman. I'm a black man. Okay. And we were going through the George Floyd thing. Okay. It, was around, it was around the time of the George Floyd thing. I had just had the move apology accepted by Philadelphia. This was back in May 2020. So you got the George Floyd thing, and then you got the Ahmaud Arbery thing. Okay. And I've got a little boy who likes to run. And I'll never forget, every time my boy would go running, I would go into a panic. Where every time he said, I'm going for a run. But then you've got six feet apart, you've got masks, you've got this, you got stay at home, you got all this. And we were trying to move into this new house in COVID. And nobody would allow an appraiser 
to come into the house because the rules were set that nobody should be going anywhere. So we were having a very difficult time moving into this house. So I'm trying to trust her. I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here, but this is where I started to see you're doing something. You're trying to do something to uh, disenfranchise me, to keep, to defraud me. You're trying to keep me off this property. And ultimately, I realized she's never, she didn't put my name on a deed. And again, I, I just, I got to keep emphasizing the distraction of COVID in this situation because I've got children who now are doing Zoom learning. I've got a job that I'm trying to keep. I've got all kinds of challenges I'm dealing with. And you're like, we're buying a house together. And she loves me. Together. She loves me. She's buying a house with me. And that, like, that kind of deception just, I guess it wouldn't even cross my mind. Why? Like my wife not putting me on the deed. We're spending, you know, you like you said, you're 53, 55 years old. We're spending our the rest of our lives together. Like, why would she deceive? Nah, no. Nah. And I think that this is so important that we're doing these conversations because people ask me, why am I talking about this? These are cautionary tales. I'm not trying to get anybody, you know, upset or bothered by what they're going through. But these are cautionary tales for people to think about. And it's also, I think, because of the way that you and I pull through this stuff, we can go back and we can look at the phone calls. We can look at the text threads. We can look at the videos. We could, we have a library of evidence around what happened. Do, brother. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that we could help other people to understand and to come out of the fog and, 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 and recover themselves. Right. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want to help people. I want to help people recover themselves yeah we could workshop this shit man because you have you, you know we've only seen probably the tip of each other's evidence and we're both like oh they're fucked <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah Did yeah you, but um so okay so so when you guys got the house together and she deceived you with that at what point though did you see the veil fall because you thought that she was going to put you on the deed she didn't was there a, did there come a time when you found out that she didn't or was there yeah. like a straw that broke the camel's back in between there so there was there was a point where we actually moved into the house and she told me I was going to have to leave. We had just moved into the new house and she was already talking about it. You got to go. It's Fuck, like, man. Such a master plan. Holy shit. And again, man, I'm talking that we're in COVID. This is like this is a situation where the whole world is trying to figure out. But were you fighting when she wanted you to leave or what? No. I mean, like it. we, we didn't have never physical fights. We would have arguments and we would have these moments where our children who were step siblings would get into it and we would have to negotiate for them. Right. Okay. But there was never anything so obvious going on that I would be like, oh, we're doomed. There was never anything so obvious going on. We had, I mentioned, we had goats, we had chickens, we got dogs, we got ducks. We got this property that we're trying to turn into a, an Eden of sorts, yeah, a place yeah. where people could hang out. So there was always something to do. And it was great because COVID was so depressing. But underneath all of that, it was like she clearly was operating toward a moment where she could unveil this plan. And that plan was unveiled in July 2021. All right. So let's hear this shit. Go for it. So, so what happens is, uh, you saw the text threads, yep. July, 2021, I really begin to call her because COVID starts to go away. And now I'm calling you on the fact that, look, we got to get this, 
house paperwork thing done. We 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 have no reason why we can't go get the the deed done. We need to get the plate. We need to get the house refinanced uh, because we we had a mortgage that's not proper. We got all this stuff, and it's all in writing. I write her that long message, a text message, on July twenty second. Two days later, she goes dancing. This is July twenty fourth. It's it's kind of it's it, it's it doesn't matter just yet. But on July twenty fourth, she goes dancing. July twenty ninth, she files for divorce. On July 22nd, when I said, we got to fix this paperwork and we got to do this shit now, a week later, she files for divorce. Because she found out that you would see the papers that she, uh, you were on there to refinance. You weren't part of that decision making. I wasn't part of that decision making. And on July 30th, she filed for divorce on the 29th. On July 30th, I went to go to our bedroom to go to sleep. And she says, you can't sleep in here tonight. And I'm like, what? She says, you can't sleep in here tonight. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to bed. She goes, no, you won't sleep in here tonight. If you don't leave here, I'm going to call the police. I'm like, what? She goes to, she picks up her phone and I can see that she's downing her mother because when she hits, you know, send, you see her mom's name pop up. And I'm like, okay, I better call somebody. So I call a friend of mine and my friend answers. Her mother doesn't answer. And I said, hey, you got to listen to this. I don't know what she's talking about, but something ain't right here. So my wife snatches the phone from me and she yells to our friend who she knows. I told him to leave this room. And if he doesn't leave this room, I'm going to call the police on him. And my friend says, why are you going to call the police on him? She says, because the other day he got into bed, pulled my hair and tried to choke me. I said, what? What did you say? I said, what are you saying? Why? What are you, what are you talking about? She says, you did. You tried to choke me. You might not remember because when you got into the bed, my back was hurt. Some ridiculous response. And my friend says to me, Butch, she doesn't sound well. I want you to leave the room right now. I take the phone. I leave the room. Mac, I go downstairs and it's about midnight and I call a friend of mine in Chicago. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here, man. None. No idea. And I wrote a letter I sent an email to about 10 of our friends, 10 of our shared friends. And I say to them, I don't know what's going on here. I would never do what she just said I did, but I'm asking you all for help. If anybody can help in this moment, I'd appreciate it. A friend of mine actually drove by the house. He told me when he was driving by, I told him everything was fine. You don't have to come in. The next morning, July 31st, she leaves doesn't come back. August the 4th, early in the morning. You know where she went? You know where she went? I did where she went. Were you just trying to find her? We we were texting one another. She wouldn't answer the phone. July 31st was a Saturday. She wouldn't answer the phone. She stayed away until August the 4th when I was evicted. So talk about that when the cops are coming up on your lawn. Well, let me say this. Before the cops came up on the lawn, about 45 minutes earlier, was the first time that I realized that the divorce was real. A courier pulled up 45 minutes before the state trooper and handed me uh, divorce papers. My hands are shaking. A courier. Similar. So similar. He shows up and he hands me divorce papers. I'm looking at this and I'm like, no way. She actually filed a divorce. So when she screamed at me that day with my friend, I, I was like, I 
she filed for divorce. I ain't seen nothing. We ain't talked about another divorce. There's been no conversation about a divorce. So the the courier leaves. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes later, I'm on the phone with a friend of mine, the same guy from Chicago, and I'm telling him, I'm saying, man, look, shit's falling apart here. I don't know what's going on here. I'm looking, I'm pacing back and forth in the house, and I see the state troopers that they just keep going up and down the street, up and down the street. And then finally, I see them come around and come up my driveway. And I say, hey, man, I got to go. I'll call you back. And hung up on him and immediately hit the record button, the video record button, and walked outside. And everything else is what everybody else is now saying. Me walking outside. I'm being evicted from my house now. Yeah, immediately, but what we'll, we'll, we allow you to do is get an overnight bag. All right, so right. You, we'll, we'll go inside so you can get some of your things. I have to leave with you? No, you can, you can drive away. No, 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 no. What I'm asking you is I have to leave right now. Correct. Yep. So you can go inside, gather up some of your things. We allow you that courtesy. And do you have your car here? I do. I do. And then... On your own accord, you can leave here, okay? So you're going to leave and I can leave after you leave? I just have to leave. We're going to leave. No, we're going to leave with you. We're going to leave together. Okay. You definitely have to leave today, okay? Got you. So what we'll do now, go inside. Mm-hmm. Get some of your things. You need this back? What's that? This. Nope, that's for you. This is me. Yep. This is me. That's officer and that's officer. Can I see your eyes, please? Is that okay? All right. My wife filed a false abuse claim against me in order to initiate a divorce in order to get an advantage over the property that we have. Out of nowhere, she just filed a false abuse claim against me and had me evicted from the house. Women in particular who do this to men are criminals. They are dangerous. They are criminals. My understanding now is that this is a strategy that many women will employ in court in order to take advantage of their husbands and their property. You say, I should have seen this coming. She did everything she could to keep me from seeing what she was doing. For the men who have to go through this, and the children who have to go through this, I feel sorry for you. This is painful, but the only thing that is going to heal this is justice. If you know someone, or if you are someone and this has happened to you, I'd love to hear from you. There needs to be a movement to stop this. There needs to be a movement so that some strong legislation can be put in place to stop this. This is criminal. They hand me a piece of paper and I start to read and I have no idea, Mac. I don't know what the hell a PFA is. Mm-hmm. Never heard. My, I heard it called a TRO, a temporary restraining order. I knew what a restraining order was, but I didn't know why I was getting one. And I, I, I knew whatever. If they had said something like that, I would have figured out you know, with a restraining, but I had no idea what a PFA was. And so I say to the guy, what does that mean? And he explains, you know, it's a, a protection from abuse. She's filed a protection from abuse against you. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? Right. Absolutely. If you don't know, you don't know because you're, but, but, but not only that, but like a protection from abuse, you're really what I internalized for you saying that was like, what fucking abuse that 
that that's correct and and who to who like you know what does that mean like who is this applying to and how does it apply i don't get it right and so when he said she's filing a protection from abuse she something happened that she didn't like that made my skin crawl was that the most vague shit you've ever heard yeah most well and another thing i wanted to talk about like that was fucking wild but you and i talked off air about this a couple of times and like there's a part where like you know, he says, you know, you're going to pack a bag and you're going to leave and nobody can see us right now because you and I are on camera. But you have this look like your eyes are kind of squinted and like they look like they're half open. And I called it to you. I called it your thousand yard stare because like it it was almost like you were hearing the words, but couldn't like this is such a passe thing to say, but like literally couldn't under, couldn't believe it. Like couldn't believe, not it. believe it in every sense of the word could not believe it and like i want to keep saying could not believe it cannot believe what then that's exactly how i felt and i was just sitting there going what what i i didn't do that i didn't do that i didn't do that and when i looked at the piece of paper she wrote down yeah. this is august the 4th when i'm being served the paper says that this happened on july 24th yes sir well, the funny thing is, is you and I talked offline and I've told the story about it on my podcast. She alleges, and not for nothing, less than about three weeks before this is all happening to you in real time, two weeks before it's happening to me in real time. She alleges that I strangled her on October the 17th and October 30th is when she got the restraining order. So, you know, they they try and pass it off in court like, well, all good, you know, domestic abuse victims are struggling with the idea yes. of leaving their husbands. Yes. No, right. she was calculating and planning on how to do it. That's correct. That's correct. And so the the calculating and planning is so, it, I keep saying cruel, but this is just like when you realize that the person that's doing this to you despises you. Yeah. They have no, they have no mercy. None. None whatsoever. No, like, man, like... It, you know, like even on my worst enemy, I probably would have like a smidgen of mercy. There's no mercy. None. Like and None. you can't you can't have mercy back now. Like you're in war. Absolutely. And Mac, when I wind up in court, they're trying to get but first of all, before I went to court, her attorney reaches out to me, because I at the time I didn't have an attorney. He reaches out to me and says, Hey, look, we're willing to drop this if you'll give her exclusive possession of the property. Oh, yeah. Hey, you strangled me, but guess what? You give me the property. Mac, it doesn't really on, matter, right? Come on, man. I'm like, okay, so yeah. what What do you mean? No restraints. I wasn't allowed back in my house. Yeah, give her the house. and Give her the house, and it will be good. Just don't come back to the house, and we'll be good. We'll drop it. Give her the house. Sign it over. I, I put the documents together. You sign it over. I, I almost felt like, fuck it. If I did this shit, let's find out if I did it. That's my thing. Yeah, that was let's my find out if so, I did it. So I wound up going. I feel like I'm missing another point I wanted to make, but the thing is, is that I was out of the house with no immediate recourse. Where did you go? My son's house. I have a, an adult son who's 30, mm -hmm. and uh, I went straight to his place and laid on the couch. And I was, I was like, my brain was just like done. I didn't have a car at the time. We we shared a car because I was working from home because it was right around COVID time. And we only had one car. And I called my boy to come pick me up. Not my son, but a good friend of mine. And yeah, I was crashing on his couch for months and months. Yeah, man. It it was it was it was truly cruel that 
if if you wanted a divorce, oh, I didn't say this though. So for the allegation of allegedly trying to choke her and pull her hair, they were trying to get a three year protection from abuse. They wanted three years. But you wanted to try it, I'm sure. I did. Okay. Oh yeah. So I went in, I actually back if you look again, if you go back to the text threads I sent you, I don't know if you saw the place where she had been writing to me weeks earlier that she was struggling with menopause and she wasn't sure if our marriage was going to make it. She, she sent me an article. Article about, yeah, she said she the article. Sent me menopause. Yep. Menopause and divorce. Yeah. Like, and talk about setup. So it was like these constant little uh, setups toward, and I kept saying, no, oh, babe, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to work through this, whatever it is. Result. You loved her. You, and that's what I say about my next. And the funny thing is, is, you know, about a month or two ago, my next discovered this podcast. And I don't give a fuck if she hears this. I did love her. I did love her. I loved yes, every I did goddamn hair on her head. Yeah. The problem that I found out is, is that I love an illusion. I love right. the idea in my head of what I yeah. think she was because yeah. she's not, she's not who I think she was. It's my thing. And, and I, I think I loved an illusion as well. I know I loved an illusion and that that person that I thought she was never came to check on me. I used to cry, man. I mean, I was a crying fool. I had nightmares. I had, I was just going through it, man. And I kept thinking, she's going to call me, right? She's going to call me, right? She's going to call me and make sure I'm okay, right? I'm looking at the phone. I know she's going to call me. I know she's going to, she's going to shake out us. Even my children. We're thinking she's going to come out of it, dude. It's going to be okay. She, she's going to come out of it. She's going to come out of it. No, she ain't coming out of it. She ain't. She, she's, she, she ain't who we thought she was, y'all. And I was so mad at myself for allowing that woman into my family, into my community, into the world that I had created before she ever showed up. And the way she treated my children when they went back, they went back because that was their home. And she called the police on them. What? Yes. For what? Because she said it wasn't, they didn't belong there. She said they couldn't come back either. So this is a person, this is a person who, if I did something to you, why wouldn't you tell them what happened? Why wouldn't you sit down with them and say, hey, this is what it is. This is what happened. This is because it didn't happen. She, she, because nah, she, well, yes, that's part of it. But the other part is, is in their sick, deluded fantasy world, she thinks she's protecting you. So like at the time, I, you know, I shared the story on the podcast when I was removed from my, at the time, five and three year old for 42 days, 42 sons up, 42 sons down. I was removed from my kids, could not sp speak to my five and three year old. When I was finally able to speak to them, I worked in pharmaceutical sales. And what I found out was she told my kids that I was helping the doctors come up with a coronavirus vaccine. And because I had been around people with coronavirus, that's why I couldn't come home. So what she was doing when your kids went back and she was kicking them out in her sick, deluded fantasy world, she thinks she was protecting you by not telling them what you really did. I, I got you. I, I can hear that. I mean, I, I anything is possible when you start to understand this kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm I wish more people would pay attention to these stories because these types of people exist. And so when when people look at me and go, no, she wouldn't do that. She would. I'm like, you don't get it, obviously. You can't, she, but you can't, you can't try and like, I gave up on that a long time ago. If they don't want to understand, they can't understand. 
And and even you got to put yourself in their shoes. You didn't understand Pearl Jam, so why the fuck would they understand? Well, I don't talk to people. I'm with you, man. And again, we're two years past this. Mm-hmm. Um, the people closest to me know who I am, and they now know who she is. Yeah. So, so how did you how did you start like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and recovering? I mean, so you went to your son's house, but like, how did you like emotionally break? I've started doing more therapy than I've ever done. And as a writer, I started writing. I would do a lot of recording. I would just, I would really just talk it out. They gave me a six month cooling off period. I went into that first, uh, that PFA hearing and I defended myself. I didn't hire an attorney because Mac, I was sure that my wife was having some kind of nervous breakdown that she, uh, this menopause thing that she was talking about or the premenstrual dysphoric disorder that she had talked about, that one of these things had gobbled her up and she was going to find a way out. And so uh, I I fell for all of it. And in the six month period of time, I started to realize, nah, she just, she just got rid of me. She just got rid of your purpose. You were out of purpose to serve for her. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. She's done with me. She ain't calling me. She don't care. This person ain't the person I thought she was. Wild. Wild. And so what my, re- my recovery, as I call it, had a lot to do with some therapy that I was doing, but mostly, man, talking it out with friends and family because they knew. They were, they were in shock. People were like, she did that? She hasn't called you? And they knew her. She wasn't a stranger to these people. And they would reach out to her, and she would ignore them. She had a group of people around her, insulating her, pouring you, pouring you, pouring you. And I'm like, okay, nah, y'all, y'all don't get it. Y'all clearly don't get it. Or he, y'all do get it. Who cares if, who cares if they get it? Fuck. But my thing is that if, if, even if they, even if they do or don't get it, they ain't doing nothing about it. Right. It's just pity party. It's just that they're, they're, they're just like, ah, uh, you know, and, and, and I think the thing that gets me also is the, the allegation of abuse which is something that I'm really dealing with. The allegation of abuse was supposed to discredit me. It's supposed to put me in a situation where I am unbelievable. I am violent. I hear people say stuff like, well, look at his name. His name is Ulysses Butch Slaughter. What kind of name is Slaughter? Yeah, Slaughter. Shut the fuck up. That's my thing. I'm like, please shut the fuck up. You, you, you sound stupid. Yeah, And anybody who knows me, like I said, knows what I stand for, knows what I do, knows what I don't do. And so I want to be able to address these false allegations. I want men and women to speak up. I don't want them to be silenced. This thing of false allegations is designed to make you shut up, to make you feel mentally paralyzed and question your reality. So you know what we're going to do instead? We're going to get on a fucking podcast and say, deal with this. That's exactly right. That's it. That's, that's my thing, Mac. I think, like we said earlier, you had the chips because you cheated. Right. Exactly. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. And so you, anything that you steal, you're going to have to give back. You're going to have to give the land back. You're going to give the house back. You're going to give, you, you're going to, re- you're going to uh, uh, give the reputation back. You, everything you're going, it, it's, it's not yours. So, so how, how did things sort of resolve? Because you said you're a little bit farther along in the legal uh, case. How far, how, what got resolved in that? Where are you at? 
Um, we just we just have to wait on a, a divorce decree at this point. We're waiting for a di divorce decree, and that's done. But there's a lawsuit, a fraud lawsuit. <laughs> Go figure. We call it fraud. Uh, there's a fraud lawsuit that I filed last May, May actually 2022, for the property. Um, I'm thinking about doing a defamation of character one as well. Uh, I, I just I just wonder if uh, if I can get the fraud one underway. The judge didn't want to see the fraud case until the divorce was done because you got to go through equitable distribution and see how that plays out. Now that the divorce is all but done, the judge can now look at it and say, okay, let me look at this fraud case and see what what, what we can do with this. But I think it's I think it's very appropriate that it is called a fraud lawsuit because I was dealing with a fraud. You know what the funniest things who is, is like, you know, after the divorce is over and now you want to do a fraud lawsuit, she's going to go, he just can't get over me. And, and what's so interesting to me, man, is that I'm not, I'm a very confident man. You know, I've been kicked. I'm a very optimistic man. I've been down. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't take bullying well. Yeah. I don't take it well. I don't take, I don't take deception well. I go back again to my father. When, when I learned that my father said that he put that pillow under my mother's head and he knows I put that pillow under my mother's head, that's the thing that really, really made me mad and want to kill that dude. And I am not a violent dude, but as the great James Brown said in his song, The Big Payback, I believe in the big payback. Mm -hmm. And if you, you, you're going to take from me, you're going to harm my children just discard them like they're not even worthy of a discussion. Yeah. No, we we, we got to rectify that. We, we, we're not letting it sit. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't live with myself. Well, listen, we're coming to the end of the hour here, and this is a, a question I really ask all of my guests, right? And actually, I think I know what you're going to say, right? But anybody in this predicament who, you know, might be suspecting that they might be in with a narcissist and they're trying to figure it out and like, you know, to protect themselves in the legal system. What is some advice that you would give to the listener who is listening to this on how to get out, how to protect themselves and where to go from here? I would say, give yourself some space. If you could actually voluntarily give yourself some space from that person, let's just come up with a scenario. You're actually still living with this person mm -hmm. and you just want some space. So you can take a look in that space, that person is going to start to behave a certain kind of way. And if you look at that behavior, when you watch the unraveling at a distance, it'll tell you what your next thing is. But you're going to have to get some space in order for you to see what they will do. Their reaction to you wanting space on your own terms. And we know some of these terms in, in you know, narcissism terms. They don't want to be left, but they're okay leaving you. Yeah. So if you make the suggestion that I'm a, I'm going to step away for a week or so, you know, I just need some some space. I want to figure some things out. I think it'll be good for me and our relationship. Watch what happens. It'll yeah. tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. I mean, like in that space will give you this reflective ability to sit back and like, you know, kind of say, oh, well, this happened before and this fits with that and this fits with that. And at that point, when I took that space is when I started recording and I started creating my evidence that's now coming into court. So I completely agree with you. Get some space to kind of digest what you're going through. Right. And that might be at the point where you might want to start reviewing your laws within your state because every state is different. See if you could record, see what you can document and start protecting yourself. 
got to protect yourself and and you got you really got to care for yourself uh in a way that doesn't allow you to be um taken off guard blindsided because that's what they're waiting for a lot of times is an opportunity to blindside you and if you take the first step to step away you don't have to worry about that and it might sound vague, but again, I'm saying get some space. Yeah, anybody who's it might sound vague, but anybody who's been in this predicament knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt thank you, you, man. You are the fucking man. I am so glad that the internet exists so you and I could connect because your story resonates so much with me. And it was an absolute pleasure with talking to you. And I, I really have the feeling that you're going to change the world. You are about you are destined for big things, and I'd love to be a part of it. Let's stay in touch. And, you know, let's let's make a dent in this thing. We are. We are, man. I, I can't say thank you enough for having me, Mac. Thank you to your listeners for listening. And I'm looking forward to the next move, man. We got we to start a camera club. <laughs> Once I can show my face. Well, dude, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I really appreciate the hell out of you. Take care. All right, man. Until next time.